You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. So we continue this story uh, in uh, Jonah. We've been in the book of Jonah for for uh, a number of weeks here. We're going sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. And it's a very interesting intersection this week. Last week, we we tackled the the rugged topic of repentance. In other words, turning from one thing, turning to another, turning from the, the, the patterns of the world and our culture and turning towards God. Sometimes we, we find that in that turning, if there were nothing to turn to, then there would be, it would be just kind of religion, to be honest with you. I've been in, in parts of the country or parts of the world where there is, there, there is a turning without a passionate warmth toward God. And all that turns out to be is a bunch of rules and regulations. And quite frankly, that's why a lot of people don't want a relationship with God because they, they think it's all about that. It's all about what we're not doing rather than what we get to enjoy in a relationship with God. Sometimes when we think about speaking to others about faith or whatever it might be, we, we have a no. So we obviously know that Jonah had a big no. He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Tarshish and I'm, you know, uh, into the world just to get away from, from, from God's mission. And so when he said no, what he was actually doing is there was a bigger no. He was actually saying no for the Ninevites. He was answering for them. Have you ever been in that scenario where like, man, I should probably talk to somebody. But now they probably don't want to hear about God. And so what I've done, I've, I've preemptively said no for them. They never had even had the chance to say no. Some of you have told you this story. When I first became a, 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 a Christ follower, I was very raw and very rude. Uh, it didn't matter how I said it, where I said it, when I said it, man, I was just like, let it out. You know, I had to learn a little diplomacy along the way. But I was sitting at this, uh, this, uh, this table with, at lunch with two guys. Well, the reason I sat at lunch with two guys is because I was working as a painter, uh, painting buildings and painting uh, uh, for a student job. And so this one guy, man, he, his name was Mike, and Mike was really struggling with alcohol. And so for me, I was just, man, I just, I came from that route and said, hey, I, man, I have found liberty. I found freedom in Christ. I can't wait to tell this guy. And so I said, hey, Mike, why don't we go to lunch? I said, man, I was going to lay Jesus on because I knew he needed it. And when I said that, I, there was this other guy that was a student. Uh, Mike was, was on the maintenance team, but there was a student. And um, he he was super intellectual. And uh, I think I've told you this, you know, he's, he had this long goatee and and uh, and it just made him feel more intellectual. Yeah, you know, I don't know what it is about people with goatees. They just they look smarter. See this guy right here? Got, you look smarter than I am. So when I'm in certain scenarios, I have a fake goatee. You know, I'm like if I really need to say something important, I should be wearing one this morning, in fact. And so I'm like, oh, I'm, so this guy who looks really smart and, and with not only with goatee, but he twirled the goatee, which made it even like he would like pen, penetrate your soul while, while you, you know, and you just felt stupid. I don't know what it was. I could, I could have been talking about music, which I knew a lot about, but I would not feel. And on top of that, he played sitar. Sitar people, they, they just seem to be smarter than the rest of us. Like, how do you play those things? Or, you know, like that. We went to lunch and man, I had already said no. For this other guy. I knew he would say no. 
through an invitation of, 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 of inviting Christ. As I'm talking to Mike, very nervously now, because Mr. Goatee, twirling goatee, was penetrating my soul while I was trying to talk to Mike. At the end of talking to Mike, Mr. Goatee says, man, that's super interesting. I'd like to, I'd like to know more. I had already said no. I'm like, you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to say you're a total idiot for believing in Jesus. See, this happens in our life. Watch, I, one writer says it this way. In the space between yes and no, there is a lifetime. There's a lifetime. It's the difference between the path you walk and the one you leave behind. A yes and no can really change the entire trajectory of our lives. So I think that there is this sense that we can't be driven by the no, we have to be driven by the yes. What do I mean by that? The no is like, hey, I'm not, I, I'm not going to live this self-centric life anymore where I'm in total control of everything I do. I'm going to turn. It's what we talked about last week, that, that turn toward from something to something, from the world to God, right? But it is the yes of God that drives the no. It, it, in other words, it trumps the no. So if, if Jonah were motivated by the yes of God, like, man, God is so compassionate and so loving and so patient and long-suffering. God is full of grace. God is full of mercy. See, that yes, hey, they might say yes. Mr. Goatee might say yes to grace. But see, I'm in my mind like he's already know. He's already, he's he's already checked the no box. I was being driven by the no, not being driven by the yes of God. That all that God has to offer, it's called compassion. That's the focus of our 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 talk today. I've broken the word down for you because I think it's always interesting to find how did that word originate? What does it really mean? So you'll see on the screen here kind of a breakdown of this uh, of this word. The, the, the suffix there, or prefix, com, means beside or near, by or with you. I'm like with you, like a companion. And, and the passio is like suffering or, or enduring, like we say, the passion of the Christ. It doesn't mean that Christ had passion. It means the suffering of Christ when we see the passion of Christ. So compassion, when we see the compassion of God, it's like he is coming beside us in our suffering. When we look at the book of, uh, when we look at the Bible, we see these pictures of God being compassionate. And I think that it helps fuel our yes. Here's where it comes right down in our backyard. So often, Believers of, in Christ, followers of Christ, are, res, re, are reticent. They're hesitant to speak to others about our faith, our great God. And if we were like, man, I'm going to go in and talk about the compassion of God, that he comes beside us in our suffering, that he comes beside us in our helplessness, then that might drive us more than like, oh, they're not, they're, they're not going to like what I'm going to say. They're not going to like me afterwards. And there's, um, no, 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 no. Instead of being driven by, yes, 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 because God is great. That, that, that song that we just sang, by the way, what a powerful name it is. One time we were coming into Cuba and we were coming through security. And it wasn't going well. And it was, quite frankly, getting a little scary. 
when they add, they pull you in a room by yourself. And I kept singing that exact song over and over and over in my mind. I, in fact, then I started singing it so loud, I was so out of tune, they let me go. No, I was kidding. <laughs> now, what a powerful name. What a powerful God. What a compassionate God. If you don't believe it, listen to this. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. Look at the descriptions, okay? Not that just God is compassionate, but look how compassionate he really is to fuel your yes. The steadfast love of the Lord never ends. It's like an ATM machine that never stops. You just keep going and going. For his compassion never comes to an end. Someone said to me this very morning, there are things in my past that still haunt me. They still overshadow me. You see, the compassion of God says, I am with you and I will never not be with you. My compassion, it's like a gerbil will that never gets tired. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. If you've thought maybe God is not as compassionate or beside me as he has in the past, it cannot be true. God's compassion never ends. Psalm 86 verse 15. You, O Lord, are full to the brim. That's what it means. Full to the brim. That means you got a, a bucket and it's right at that level. Right at the, it is full to the brim. There is no lack of compassion in God. Exodus chapter 34. God saw, Moses had this intersection with God. He says, I want to see you. And God says, okay, I'm going to pass it. You can't handle the full, you know, uh, you know, uh, HD version of me. So you know, high def version. So I'm going to, I'm going to pass. So you got to, you got to hide in this little part of the yeah, I'm going to pass in front of you and emanating from God, emanating, oozing from God. This voice was saying, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. That is the very essence of God. This is our yes. See, what if he had come? What if God was passing by Moses and all he heard was that you're in big trouble. You're in really big trouble. You're small. You're helpless. That is not the essence of God. The essence of God is he's full of compassion. He's so full of compassion. It's just coming out of his pores. Finally, Jesus is, of course, the ultimate picture of compassion. In Matthew chapter 9, when, he's, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. There it is. They needed a partner beside them like sheep without a shepherd. I love John 1.18, where Jesus says, no man has ever seen the Father. No man has ever seen God except the only begotten, speaking of Jesus, who was in the bosom of the Father. And, one, and, and he has made him known. One version, uh, the English Standard Version says, he has explained him. If we ever wondered, okay, is Psalm 86 really true? Is he really full of compassion? Is Lamentations really true that his compassion doesn't uh, run out? I mean, are, are the things that we're reading in the Bible and Exodus that, that, that compassion is oozing? Jesus said, I'm going to give it to you in a way you can touch it. My compassion, even after living with you, even after being rejected with you, my compassion for you is going to go all the way to the cross. He has explained him. It's important for us to understand this in the book of Jonah. So now we turn to the book of Jonah. We're still in chapter one. We're going to finish the book somewhere in 2029. <laughs> Verse 17. Now watch carefully to the language. This 
is mind-blowing. You remember that Jonah, they cast lots last, when we spoke last week in the previous verses. They cast lots. They were, they said, man, something's going wrong. The sea was raging. Jonah confessed. He says, it's my fault. I'm, I'm a fugitive from God. Just throw me over and the, 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 everything will be okay. So they tried to row harder. Remember, we talked about that. And then they finally, their arms grew tired and they said, hey, forget it. Let's, let's go ahead. And one man for all. They sacrificed the one man. They threw him into the sea and suddenly everything was quiet. And then, as you remember, last week they bowed down and worshipped the Lord of the universe. Now we're in the ocean with bobbing up and down with Jonah. Now, if you've ever been in a scenario like that, there's a level of desperation. I am in a men's group. We do physical things. And one, one time we went out to the beach and we were going to swim to the buoy and back. I don't know if you've seen those buoys out there. We're going to swim to the buoy out and back. I'm like, you know, from the shore, it looks like a piece of cake. Then you get about halfway down there and like, hey, you know, I'm kind of getting tired. And uh, but you don't have a choice at that point. You kind of commit it, you know. And so I finally made it to the buoy on the way back. I'm like, oh, dude, I got I I've got to, you know, touch ground and rest. Nope. It was about 10 foot. And I, t- I kept trying to touch it. And it was like, oh, it was, it was terrifying. Now, how long? Can a man bob up and down in the Mediterranean Sea that can't touch bottom? They weren't close to the shore. How long can they can they do that? So watch. The Lord provided a fish. It wasn't like a fish just happened to be coming along. You see, in the spiritual realm, God is very purposeful. He provided a great fish. I want you to file that, those, those words, a great fish, right? And people like get caught up like, okay, you know, we're going to look at it. Is it, can it really be true? Blah, blah, blah. You know, if the Bible said that Jonah fall, swallowed a great fish, I'm like, okay, well, God's done. Because see, if you start breaking down the miracles, then I guess the Red Sea wasn't true either. And I guess the Passover lamb wasn't true. And I guess... The feeding of the 5,000 wasn't true. And I guess walking on water wasn't true. I mean, where do you stop? The, uh, where does the unbelief stop? I think I've shared with you, I had a seminary professor. I think he had a goatee. Um, he, didn't, he actually didn't believe the Bible, if I were honest with you. And he, and he was convincing us that, that, all, that they crossed over the Red Sea at a place where the water was shallow. So I thought to myself, well, then the, the real miracle wasn't the crossing over. It was how those, all those soldiers died in shallow water. <laughs> Twirl that, big boy. <laughs> anyway, just a thought. I want, you, I want to, uh, to, to look at the compassion here because there's compassion at, at many different l- levels here in the story. So... God provided, really, this is a God-appointed lifeboat. This is a God-appointed lifeboat. He's out there bobbing in the ocean. They apparently didn't have a raft, apparently didn't have a lifeboat. And God provided the, the great fish 
to save his life. Number one. Number two, the sea stopped. The sailors were saved. They couldn't help themselves. Jonah couldn't help himself. The sailors couldn't help to save themselves. And God took care of it all. Compassion was at in action. Let's say it that way. Compassion was in action. We've looked at different themes. But think about the theme in the book of Jonah. Think about the theme of compassion in the book of Jonah. Okay, we've just seen it, right? So God saves Jonah. He saves the sailors in chapter 1. In, in chapter 2, God vomits, uh, the, you know, the fish vomits uh, Jonah out, and he gives him a second chance, a second shot at going back to Nineveh. It's compassion. The Ninevites were cruel. They were, they were immoral. They, and God gave them a shot. He didn't say no for them. Hey, I'll give him a shot of saying yes. Compassion was there. And then Jonah comes in the last chapter. And he's kind of griping and he's in the sun, scorching sun. And God, out of compassion, says, hey, I'm going to give you a plant. But not only that, here's the key. Every time we see compassion in each of these chapters, they are in the face of rejection of God. God wasn't just compassionate toward people that are loving him, like, well, sure, I'll be compassionate to you. No, it's nice to be nice to the nice, right? He wasn't just saying, hey, these are such nice people, and they love me so much, I'm going to be compassionate. No, they were, they were putting their, their, their hand in, in his face. The sailors, as, you, as we read in the first chapter, they were worshiping other gods. God said, I'll still save you. Jonah was a fugitive. He was jumped overboard. He goes, I'll save you with the fish. He was, a, he was a, a, a renegade, a rebel, God in compassion. In chapter 2, he says, I'll give you another shot to the guy who was running from him. The Ninevites had, had thumbed their nose at God for years, for generations, and yet God, in the midst of that, says, I'm still going to send you a message of grace. And at the, at the end, in chapter 4, even when you got a prophet that's griping, God said, I'll send you a plant. I'll give you some shade. You see how it works? It's not just compassion. It's compassion in the moments where we are rejecting God. That's really compassion. It's unconditional compassion. Here's where it gets good. You remember the Lord provided a fish, okay? So watch. Let's, let's review those words. But the Lord provided a great fish, okay? Let's break the word down. Watch this. As we did with compassion, let's break the word down provided. So pro means ahead of time. So I'm going to be proactive, right? That means I'm going to be active ahead of time. As opposed to post, I'm going to do it, I'm going to be active after it happens. Pro means ahead of time. And videre, like where we get the word vide, means to see. So ahead of time, God says, I'm going to see. So do you think when Jonah jumped in the water, that God was like, Oh, no, I didn't plan on that. I've got to find, let's get an octopus. No, he'll strangle him. Let's get it like a clownfish. Way too small. Shark, he'll kill him. No. God, I'm sure, had the fish on reserve. I'm sure that he was in the batting cage, the bullpen. Is that what they call it? The bullpen over there, right? There was this big fish just circling, just happened to be in the area. Oh, come on. He was, God put him in the area. Because how long can a person bob up and down in the ocean? I don't know. Somebody Google it. We'll find out. Eight minutes? 18 minutes? 
See, I mean, there was no time to send a great fish from the Pacific. Had to be in the air. God provided ahead of time. You see, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were naked, we're told that God provided ahead of time. There's going to be an animal over here we're going to sacrifice so we can clothe you. God doesn't have to search for compassion because God is compassion, you see. He doesn't have to, to be honest with you, there's sometimes I got to muster up compassion. I don't know about you, especially because I'm, I, I am married to a very compassionate wife. And we'll be with someone, they're hurting, and she's like, you know, she starts crying and everything. I'm like, I should probably start crying. <laughs> you start acting like you care, Steve. All right. You remember, watch this, watch this picture. The, the Old Testament, I know it's hard to read sometimes, but if you look at it as a picture book, it's really, it really helps out. You remember Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was an older man, passed a biological clock to have children. He and his wife, Sarah, had a miraculous child named Abraham. It was surprising that when Abraham got to a certain age, God asked him. He wanted to test him, wanted to test his faith. And so he said, I want you to take Abraham to the top of the mountain. I want you to slay him, although God would probably he would have stopped him anyway. But but he wanted to test Abraham. And when Abraham said, okay, I'll do it, God stopped him. Remember, his hand was stopped. He didn't take his child, Abraham. And in that moment, watch this. Abraham looked up in Genesis 22. Abraham looked up. He's going to take his child. His hand is stopped. He looks up. And there in a the thicket, he saw a ram caught in its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering, as a substitute offering, instead of his son. You think a ram, I know how we think of rams. A ram is a male lamb, okay? <laughs> so there's a lamb who's being sacrificed as a substitute offering. Anybody get the picture? This is many hundreds of years before Christ died, okay? Now watch what he says. So Abraham called that place by the name of God, which is the Lord will provide. He will see ahead of time. Why are we talking about this? Because when we are going to be on mission to Nineveh, we know that the compassionate God is already there. He is, and 12 of you are very excited. I know you're clapping at home too. Yes, jumping up and down, throwing your waffle. On. No, just kidding. <laughs> and to this day, the on the mountain of the Lord, it will be called prov, it will be provide. The, uh, it, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Watch. Provision. You see that? Provision. Just, just amazing. Okay. One more thing to, to ensure that God is ahead of us. If that's not mind-blowing enough, watch this. So there are times when God was going to send someone. There are times when God sends us that he is ahead, pro, ahead of us. And in a compassionate way, he's paving the way. 
You know what we can do when we know that? Like, oh, good. It's not me. It's not going to be my stellar introduction. I See, God is our introduction. He is pro-vision. He is providing ahead of us compassionate. So many times when we go in, we say, hey, that's my yes. The compassion of God is already ahead of me, right? There were times like when Moses, for example, God uh, rang his doorbell and said, hey, I want you to go spe- speak to the you know, highest officials in the Egyptian land who are pressing you, by the way. And remember, he freaked out. He said, what do I do? He goes, okay, you got a stick in your hand. You got a staff in your hand. All right, throw it down, throw it down. Became a snake, grabbed a snake, came, you know, you know, uh, became a, stick, a staff again, right? He goes, okay, I'm giving you that so that they will know you've got some supernatural endorsement here. Stick your hand in, come out, it's leprous, put it back in, it's gone. And so he said, that ought to get them. I'm got, you know, I'm helping you out here. I'm going to go before you with some miracles. I'm endorsing you. And he says, hey, let's watch the, the river turn blood. And so turn blood. Notice that he was preparing the way. Jesus said, hey, if you don't believe in me, at least believe in the miracles. Believe in something. In fact, in John chapter 4 and verse 48, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you'll never believe. So here is this community of Ninevites that are hardened to God. Show of hand, who, who wants to go? Nobody's going to raise their hand. Unless we were fueled by the yes of a compassionate God who is going ahead of us to do something miraculous that all we're doing is we're water skiing in the wake of a powerful God. Now, it's interesting when you come to this story in the Bible, as with other stories, those that twirl their goatee say they scoff at the story. This wasn't true. The whole thing with Jonah was just a, it was a myth. It was a fable. And yet Jesus himself referred to Jonah as a real person. But I love when history comes and, and begins to affirm what's in the scripture and the scripture affirms what's in history. So there were many people that said, because Assyria, as we see in the book, it was a three-day, to, to walk across it was a three-day, Nineveh was a three-day walk across. People say there was no city that big. It was known as the largest city in that time in the world. And people are like, no, there are no no cities. So what we see is some evidence that God was working, even though it was covered up through the years. So I've I've brought some pictures with me this morning. So if you look at the screen, um, rediscovered after more than 25 years of obscurity. So Nineveh was, you know, how cities get covered up and, and everything. After 25 years of obscurity, these guys come in, they begin to excavate, and they believed it to have been the largest city in the world at that time. Prior to its rediscovery, like I said, people are scoffing about it, like it didn't even exist. We can go to the next slide. Nineveh was found buried beneath a pair of mounds. You can kind of see them over there. In the vicinity of Mosul in modern-day Iraq, the mounds known by local names are Kenyunjik, and Nabi Yunus, and I have no idea if that was correct. Kinyunjik means Nineveh, and Nabi Yunus means Prophet Jonah. Ooh, I can see you're impressed. 
Now watch this. Jonah was, he operated in around, uh, let's say, 670 B.C. 300 years later, here's what we find. There was a guy named, uh, in the 3rd century B.C., let's say, you know, th- three, 400 years later, Barosus. Um, he wrote of this name, O-A-N-N-E-S, Oannes. He, and he was known, he was writing that he emerged from the sea to give divine wisdom. Barosus was a Babylonian priest, and not a Bible believer. And he's writing in Greek, by the way. In that age, they were writing in Greek. And in, in a single letter removed from the Greek would be an I onus with an I on the beginning. But in the Assyrian inscriptions, the J of foreign words becomes an I or disappears altogether. Hence, Johannes in Greek would appear in Assyrian either as Ioannis or Ionanus. And the name of Oannes means Jonah, a real guy. Oh, wait, there's more. Now watch this. Let's go back. If we can go to the next slide, let's go back. You remember that this was a great fish. In the Hebrew scriptures, as we're reading, the Hebrew for great fish is gadal deg. Okay? Gadal deg. The god, the primary false god of the Ninevites was known as Dagon, the fish god, okay? The fish god. If we can go to the next slide, yep. And if we go to the next slide, we because we see Dagon in the story of Samson. I don't know if you remember the story. If you don't, that's okay. Where the, uh, the, the Israelites lost the ark, and the ark was there, and the, the god, uh, the you know, statue of Dagon was there, and they came back the next day, and it had fallen over. On its own. <laughs> and then, you know, they put it up again and then fall over on its own. God's like, hey, I'm still in control here. It was known as the fish god, which was half man, half fish creature. So, in fact, when you, if you go to the next slide, this is in the Louvre in Paris, France. This is the picture of Dagon, a clay Dagon. Okay, what does this history lesson mean if I haven't bored your gourd already? Even though people were scoffing and rejecting the whole story of Assyria, now we've discovered, oh, it was there. And the mounds were Nineveh and the prophet Jonah. Even though we have said, hey, maybe Jonah wasn't a real guy, a Babylonian priest is writing about him of a man that came out of the sea from a fish and is writing about him. So the Ninevites are over here worshiping this fish god. And how come God didn't deliver Jonah, as he could have, with this large chunk of driftwood. I'm going to come. I'm going to swallow him by the fish. I'm going to spit him out on the beach. So he is known by the fish man. So when he comes out to give divine wisdom from heaven, he's got a little bit of credibility to him because God has gone before with great compassion. Wow. That's amazing. And some of you on the way home like, I didn't get that thing about the fish god. (laughs) It is amazing how God goes before us. So here we are. Let me close. The human race, listen carefully. Whether you can see it or not, doesn't matter. It's reality. We're all bobbing up and down in the sea of helplessness. 
God is seeing this in every generation. You think we're seeing what's happening in Ukraine on the news? God's seeing what's happening on the streets at night. God's seeing the slums of Bombay. God is seeing the trafficking, not only from this area, but areas around the world. God is seeing, listen, a sea of helplessness that we're bobbing up and down. And he knows that we don't need religion, that we don't need renovation. We don't need behavior modification. We need a compassionate God who sees us way ahead of time. We need a savior. That's what we need, really. What is needed in every part of the world, including Sarasota, Florida, is a savior. So this compassionate God, with compassion oozing from himself, way ahead of time, provision, proactive vision. We end with this in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, that Christ was the lamb that was slain proactively before from the creation of the world. You see, God went before Jonah in Nineveh. He should have been fueled by, yes, I know God's going to be there. Whenever you, wherever you work, whatever coffee shop you visit, you can, un, you can rest assured that God of compassion has gone before you because he went before the entire human race even before Adam took his first breath because he saw humanity bobbing up and down in the helpless sea of sin. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.